Today on this episode on the GoofDuck podcast. Remy and Joey are going to be doing a couple of brand new segments on the podcast. They will be doing happy happy birthday game, what are you drinking, this day in theme park history, and finally they will be doing food of the day. Then later on during the program Remy and Joey are welcoming a stuntman to the program. This guest has been on a movie call face-off and a zombie show called The Walking Dead. So stick around and enjoy this episode right here on Spotify. Welcome to the Goof Duck Podcast. This podcast is for everybody who would like to know what is going on with the theme parks in the Central Florida area. This podcast covers current events, theme park news, theme park history and for a bonus we do some theme park trivia. We bring on guests who used to work for the theme parks and other guests outside of the theme park industry such as local comedians and musicians. We are Goof Duck, it is what it is. Goof Duck is sponsored by The Crooked Can Brewing Company in Winter Garden, Florida where they make local craft beers every single month. And now ladies and gentlemen make sure we all have a drink in our hands because you are now listening to the Goof Duck Podcast with your hosts, Remy, Joey, and JD. Enjoy. Hello and good morning everybody. This one is for a Wednesday, Wednesday, April 15th in the year 2020. Good morning everybody. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you guys today. Uh, here at Goof Dog, we have a couple brand new segments for you guys. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Disney history, uh, the National National Food Day on what type of food you can have today. Uh, we're gonna do a segment called "What You're, What Are You Drinking?" and of course we have our famous birthday game. So with that being said, guys, good morning. My name is Remy. I am the host of the Goof Duck Podcast, and always with me is the Joy Mazant. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? So Joey, man, hey, good morning. How are you doing, man? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. The um, I know we're under quarantine, but I'm doing my best to just stay healthy, stay well. Uh, stay six feet away from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Recording, recording a lot of music. That's right, man. So, are you are you ready for this, man? I mean, I don't know how well you know these people, but uh, I wrote down your I wrote down the top five, uh, top five celebrities. But one celebrity on here, he's actually my brother. So I like to go ahead, I like to go ahead and wish him a, uh, a happy birthday to him on here. Uh, he just turned 31 today, so a happy birthday to Justin. Uh, so that means you are down. You are down to four. You are down to four celebrities, uh, Mr. Mazan, to play the birthday game. So here we go, and we are going to go ahead and play the happy, 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 happy birthday. So here we go. All right, I'm down. Happy birthday! All right, here we go. Happy, happy birthday to Emma Watson. Joey, how old is Emma Watson? Uh, she's definitely younger than me, but by how much? Probably a lot. Let's see. Um. Let's say about 20, 26? 26, you're close, man, but her, she is she is 29 years old today. Really? All right. Yeah, 20, That's not 20, too bad. 20, I wasn't too far off. 29. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Luis Fonsi, the guy who does uh, Despacito. Yeah, dude. Despacito. I love, you know me, I love reggaeton. Um, 
He's got it. He's shoot. Those guys age wonderfully. Um, mm -hmm. Let's put him at thirty. Oh, you are ten years off, man. Ten years off. He is 40, 40. 41 years old today. Unbelievable, man. Forty. Ugh. Forty-one. Dudes are ageless. Happy, happy birthday to uh, a really good actor. He's a stoner. Uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen has got to be... Let's put him at 44. Ooh, you're a little off. He's actually my wife's age. He, 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 is, he, is, 30, he is 37 years old. Damn. I, I keep going the wrong way. I was going to say younger. I was going to say early 30s, and I blew it because I was afraid of. Ah, you, you got me around. He is, what he is 37 years old, and our last, and our last, really? our last celebrity celebrity birthday is. Happy birthday! Happy happy birthday to Chris Stapleton. Oh, dude, love me some country music. Um, 36. 41 years old. Chris Stapleton is 41. I do suck at this game. <laughs> That's it. That's right, guys. That, right, is, so. that is your that is your birthday. That is your birthday game. Uh, all thanks to our co-host, the Joy Mazant. Uh, so we're gonna talk about food of the day. This is our. This is where you can say, hey, uh, what is the what is nas the national holiday or the national food day? So I got a little song for that, and it's by Mr. Just uh, Mr. Justin Bieber. So guys, this is your food today. Your food for today is ham. Joey, do you like ham, man? Uh, you know, you're gonna hate me for this. I'm, I, I'm eating aggressively clean lately. I like ham, but I haven't had it in so darn long and I'm, I'm missing it. Honey baked ham used to be the jam, bro. So there we go. So today, today's national food, national food day is ham. Uh, so check this out. Country ham is much dry, is much drier and has a sharper, has a sharper flavor due to high salt content. Okay. That's our, and that, that's your, that is your, that is your, uh... Food fact of the day, huh? Yep, yeah, food of the day, man. Ham. And now we're going to move on to our very, we're going to move on to our very favorite thing, which you and I love to do. We love to drink. We love to drink, drink beer. So I got a little song. What do you got for me? I got a little song for us. Hold on. So there we go, guys. So the beer here's called. It's called what? This segment is called "What Are You Drinking?" So today we are drinking a lager from Germany. That's your. That is okay. Your, that's your hand. It's called Bock. B O C K. Bock. Uh, All right. It's a light. It's a light copper brown. It's a light copper brown color. Uh, and this was. This was. This beer was introduced in the 14th during the 14th century. And uh, we have this beer brand. There's a beer brand that's called. Uh, if you guys are out in, in the shopping areas, uh, you guys can pick up this brand. It's called Dunkel. Dunkel. I've it's, heard of Dunkel. Yeah. No, I've heard. I knew that. Okay, I've heard of that before. Yeah. So Dunk Dunkel. 
So that's that is your uh, that is your beer. That's called What Are You Drinking? And dude, I'm actually you know what? I may have to grab me a uh, a buck to see how well see how well it tastes. You know, I mean, it's, absolutely. Why not? I mean, it says here. Let's find a place that's actually ABC's open today. I know right, that. but it, it says here, man, that box are their alcohol percentage can range up to six to ten percent. Damn. Yeah. Six to ten percent alcohol uh, proof. Uh, and here's your guys. Here's your last and final uh, segment. Some we'll do some Disney history. Joey, can you name me? Can you name the fourth theme par- the fourth theme park that opened on this day in 1983? The fourth theme park that opened. This is what this is what they call it. They call it the fourth theme park. So say like. Walt Disney World open, which is you know all the the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, uh, uh, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, Animal Kingdom. Uh, then you have Disney's, then you have uh, Disney's uh, Disneyland, and then you have like Paris and everything, whatever else on the well, other side of the border. Was it, Euro, was it Euro Disney? No, it was actually Tokyo. Tokyo Dis. Tokyo Disney. I didn't realize it was that old. Tokyo Disneyland opened up in 1983, and it covers no and it covers 115 acres of land. Dang. Uh, and also one of my one of my favorite childhood uh, movies. Uh, yes, it is animated, but I kind of like this version. Uh, John Favreau's The Jungle Book opened up in opened up in theaters uh, today. Uh-huh. So I, no uh, kidding. Yep. And so, guys, that is your that is your Disney history. Those are your segments. If you guys enjoyed these segments, let us know. We'll keep we will keep doing these. Uh, this is something that I've put in up. the comments. Yeah, put, plug in the comments. Let us know on the, our Facebook page, uh, which is at Goof Duck Adventures. Check that. Just type it in and uh, leave us a comment about this segment. If you guys like it, we'll keep them, and uh, we'll give you more as we go. But guys, hey, stick around. Uh, we are gonna bring on a uh, very, uh, my a guest of ours. Uh, he is a stunt man. Uh, he's also a stunt coordinator. Uh, he, was, he has been in the film industry for a while. He has worked for the theme parks, both Disney and Universal during the past, during his career. Uh, so guys, uh, we are going, we will be right back right after this. You are listening to the Goof Duck Podcast right here on Spotify. Welcome back to the Goof Duck Podcast right here on Spotify. Good morning, everybody. My name is Remy. I'm the host of the Goof Duck Podcast. And always with me is the Joey Mazant. Hello, everyone, and good afternoon. Guys, We, you guys are in for a real a real good treat. Uh, I've known this guy for many, many, many years. Uh, during my early childhood... And now going on through my adulthood, you guys, he has he has been working in the film industry for a while. 
Joey, I got a question to ask you, man. Uh, if I sure. give you, if I give you two directors, John Woo and Oliver Wood, what movie am I thinking of? Oh, man, you always put me on the spot. I'm not good at this. <laughs> all, right, um, all right, here, I'll tell you what. I'm going to play a little clip for you. You tell me what it is. So that little, so that little clip I just played for you guys was from Face Off. Wait, that was the Travolta Cage movie. Yep, Tra John Travolta Cage movie, Nicholas Cage movie. What clip did you pull? My gosh, that that's what, a, did... that clip I pulled was when uh, John John Travolta walks into the cell where Nicholas Cage has metal boots on, and he goes, huh. He goes, ooh, you're good looking. You're so random, bro. You, you're, you're the guy that, like, if you pull a clip from, my gosh, you pull a clip from Pinocchio, and it would be like one random guy <laughs> on Pleasure Island saying, "Hey, what are you doing today? What the hell? My gosh, you couldn't have found a clip where he's talking about like I could eat a peach for hours, or I like, really? That's the bad, Remy. Right? That's the clip you pull. You put me on the spot." <laughs> I am so evil. So guys, please welcome uh, Mr. Steve Ritzy to our program. Uncle Steve, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? So let's so, so I wanna so let's flash back let's flash back to that movie for a little bit. So tell us how it all got started when you got the call saying, Hey, you are the stuntman to double for Mr for Mr. John Travolta. How did that all happen? Uh so this was I so at Universal Studios probably and was leaving that show and moving to LA. Um, and a friend of mine, but I'd also been working in the film industry as well. And a friend of mine, a stunt coordinator for Nevine, who I worked with many times, uh, called me out of the blue and said, hey, I got a phone call from a stunt coordinator who's doing a John Travolta Nick Cage movie, and there's a huge boat chase in it. And they asked me to come help them out and to double John Travolta. And uh, and, and he said, but I'm not available. So I thought of you. And I was like, oh, well, I'm honored. So, and this was a really established stunt coordinator, really great guy. Um, and, uh, and so he said, so you might get a phone call from this stunt coordinator named Brian Smurs, um, you know, sometime in the next few days. Certainly within the hour, I get a phone call from Brian. He just starts talking both, starts talking the sequence with me. What are the needs of the sequence? Um, and uh, and it admittedly said, listen, I'm not a boat guy, so I'm going to really lean heavily on whoever we hire for this. And we just had literally had like an hour long conversation on the phone, and he basically hired me over the phone. Um, and next thing I know, I'm going to LA and I'm going to Paramount Studios to get a, a face mold done of my face so they could do a prosthetic to make me look like John Travolta. And, uh, and they flew. The producers, John Wu, and the stunt coordinator and the producers flew to Florida because I had connections with Wellcraft, 
who builds the scarabs. Um, and so I took them to Wellcraft and we sat down with the designers and designed the boats basically. And what we needed to make them strong because we knew we were going to be slamming them into each other and whatnot. So that's kind of how the whole thing started. That's insane. Yeah. Just the, it, I did the randomness. I love this. Yeah, it's like, it's, oh, you know, a buddy called me and said, you want to, you want to be John Travolta? That's insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was cool. It was pretty, it was pretty random. It was pretty out there. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so what else would I have seen you in? Okay. Um, okay. Here's one. Joey, have you seen the movie G.I. Joe Retaliation? Yeah, dude. He was in that. He actually got, he actually got oh. shot. He got shot by Bruce Willis. Well, oh god, I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, I was, here's the thing: I was the stunt coordinator of that movie, so that I was so busy on that movie. We had hundreds and hundreds of stunt people on that movie, multiple units going, like the main unit. Then we had a second unit going with all the ninjas flying on wires on a huge green screen that we built in the in the in the VAB, the Vertical Assembly Building at, at NASA in New Orleans. So. We had all these units going on, so I often forget that I was actually on camera at one point in that movie because the because the director was like, "Hey, Steve, why don't you play this part? This would be fun. I want you to play this part." I'm like, "Okay." And I'd worked with Bruce several times, and you know, Bruce and I have have a, have a, have a bit of a rapport. We've done a few movies together, so um, he was like, "Sure, let's do it." So I I, I have so many people bring that up to me, and I kind of forget that I was actually on camera in that movie. I play, I, most, of the time, most of the time these days I'm not on camera. I'm either directing the action and designing the action and you know those kind of things, but I rarely get on camera. Because when, uh, when I saw that movie in the theater, it was me, me and my couple of buddies of mine, and uh, I go, dude, you see that guy right there saying in front of the other bodyguard? Yeah, that's my uncle right there. Watch what's going to happen. He's going to get shot. <laughs> You always know. If you know when they show up in the scene, you know someone's getting shot or beat up. And you were, and you did stuff on a, you did, you did, you worked on one season, if I'm correct. You worked on one season on The Walking Dead, correct? Oh, actually, didn't work on it. I worked. I was the stunt coordinator for the pilot. Oh, which Frank Darabont directed, who did you know Shawshank Redemption and you know these amazing movies. Um, I did a movie with Frank called The Mist, and so uh, he knew me from that, and so he requested me to come do this uh, pilot with him. So I did the pilot in the first episode of The Walking Dead, and then they do the series. But um, if I'm being totally honest, I'm not really a, a, a TV guy. Um, I like the changeover of feature films. Um, I like it just. Uh, I just like, you know, usually when a feature film is ending after whatever, with prep and shooting, you know, it's in it ranges anywhere from four months to eight months, or if you're on a really big one, maybe up to a year. But um, by that time, usually I'm ready to go on and do something else with, you know, new subject matter and new people and new challenges. So um, TV, I did a TV series years ago, very, very early in my career, and about halfway through, it just... Started, started to feel a little bit like, started to feel a little monotonous to me. So I kind of decided pretty early that I would focus more on feature film. Nice. Do you have anything coming up in the ranks? You get me. <laughs> you got what? What's your next big project? Well, I was. Uh, we were in the works on doing a John Cena movie. Um, uh, 
that we were shooting in Puerto Rico. We were shooting in Atlanta, but we go to Puerto Rico for the first two weeks, uh, which we did. The first two weeks of March, we were shooting in Puerto Rico. And then we were coming back when, you know, while we were there, we were hearing all the news and then we were ramping up with COVID-19. Um, and then on our way back, literally at the airport on our way back, our producer got a call from the studio saying, listen, we're shutting down for, at that time, it was two weeks. Um, uh, and then since then, obviously, we've found out we're shutting down longer. Now, now the date, I think, to go back and start shooting in Atlanta is May 18th, but personally, that's probably going to get pushed. So um, we're just, everybody's, you know, like everybody else, we're all just studios, everyone, we're all just trying to figure it out and see, and see when things are going to level off and settle down and start the downside, the downside of the curve, you know? Nice. All right. Well, my gosh, I can't let, like the rest of us, I'm sure you're excited to get back to work, right? Oh yeah. I said, well, I mean, I, you know, everyone is going to be, I think so, not just appreciative of, of their lives, but also much more appreciative of their jobs and what they have. And, you know, when all this comes back, I think everyone's just going to be so ready to get back to some sort of normalcy, which are, our new normal is going to be very different anyway, but but I think it's going to be just the you know health of everyone to just get back to work is huge. I think. Agreed. You're, you're, okay. You're absolutely right. Um, what do you got, Ron? No, I was say you guys are you guys are absolutely right because I'm I'm ready to go back to work. I mean, I'm ready to just go get back out there and start working. But uh, you know, there's some there's stuff we have to do for now. So. Um, yeah. But here's here's my here's my favorite memory that I can think of. So Joey, my dad, my dad did the music for Barney and Friends over in yeah. over over at Universal Studios for a while. Uh, <laughs> when I was, I think I was like maybe five years five years yeah I was like five years old or three I, I don't remember what age I was but uh, I had a rat I had a little mini rat tail so I had a little rat tail growing in the back. And my, it was Memories. me. It was me, my dad, my mom, and my sister. She was, uh, I think, Shay. Shay was like two or two at, during the time, and uh, they, we all we all went to Universal Studios, and uh, we stayed there for the entire night. All of a sudden, we we just waited for the boat show to go on. I started crying. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't handle all the loud noises. And all of a sudden. Once the show is over, here's Uncle Steve coming right up to us. I'm like, it's Uncle Steve. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's a very cool, like, to see your family at work doing their thing, being that. That's really cool, man. That's a superhero moment. So back to so back to that boat show. Can you tell us the uh, like the certain points on where you had to hit like those exact marks when the whole building exploded during the time? Yeah, so that was a pretty tricky. Uh, that boat was designed, it was the, the black boat that was the bad guy boat that went into the boathouse and blew up. Uh, it was a jet-driven boat because it couldn't have an outboard and a prop because we were, there was a pin on the bottom of it that stuck down. It would catch a cable basically as it went in the boathouse, there was a cable across the entrance with a whole weight system attached to it. It would catch a cable like an aircraft, like an air, a plane landing on an aircraft carrier basically. It would catch a cable and then the weight system would engage. It would lift the weights off the ground, and it would slow the boat down. Literally, you'd go from, you know, 40 miles an hour to zero in a matter of about mm, probably 30 feet, maybe 25 feet. It was a it would just stop you almost instantly once you were, you know, get you inside the boathouse, and then you'd have to hook up to this 
there was a hook that was a you had to hook the boat to or the boat would get literally the weight would start going back down and would drag you back out of the boathouse. So you would go in and get hooked on to this tether that would hold the boat in place and then you jump out of that boat and become another character. Jump out of that boat and come out and shoot on the boat well, after the boathouse blows up, you come out and shoot, jump in another boat and get transferred over to Remember there was a big steel trawler that was floating mm -hmm. in the middle of the lagoon? Mm -hmm. and the, there was a big shootout and they would fire a rocket at it. The whole thing was split in half. So I, I, I do have a story for you though about, about the about the boathouse, about the bad guy boat. So we've been doing all these rehearsals. This was the opening of the park. So we've been the park had been open, uh, but we've been doing kind of like a soft opening. So it was official opening night of the theme park. So everyone is there. Steven Spielberg is there. Like all these celebrities are there for the opening of the studio. You know, because Steven Spielberg has the ET ride open and all that stuff. So, um, so everyone is there at the park. It's a huge, huge, huge event. Bunch of tele, you know, televised stuff. And so we do like the grand finale of the whole thing is the doing the boat show. So we do the boat show, and we had some pyrotechnics, an explosion and a smoke bomb that that we had had out on the back of the boat. Uh, you know, when they would fire the rocket at the bad guy boat or shoot the bad guy boat, my boat, I would I would hit a button to fire the pyro, which would cause the boat to start smoking, and then I would lose control and go in the boathouse, and the boathouse would blow up. Um, well. We had been testing the pyro outside the back wall. The boat was kind of an open boat. Like, in other words, the motor would sit right mm -hmm. behind me, um, and I'm in a roll cage, and the under deck of the is open. Um, so we've been doing some tests with the pyro out outside, like on the swim deck of the boat, and every once in a while it would get wet, so it wouldn't fire. So that night we were like, listen, we can't not have the pyro fire tonight, like on, on this special event. So we put the, the pyrotechnicians that does, you know, do all this, they mounted the, the charge inside, just inside the, the well, you know, just on the on part of the back gunnel of the boat or the back uh, transom of the boat, uh, just inside behind the engine. And so we do the whole thing, we're shooting out, we're making the run, and, and it was a very specific mark you had to hit when you're approaching the boathouse, because the boathouse did not line up with the rest of the lagoon, it actually lined up with the entrance, lined up with the San Francisco Pier right across the way. So you had to kind of really cut really close to the edge of the corner of the San Francisco Pier and dive into that little into that little uh, bay that was there by San Francisco Pier and then make a hard left turn and that would line you up with the boathouses. But literally you'd come within a foot and a half, two feet of the, pier, of the corner of the pier before you made your turn. So I'm heading toward the corner of the pier. I'm hearing the gunshots, gunshots. I blow my pyro and the pyro charge, one, stalls my engine because of the concussion stall hit was so hard, it, it stalled the motor. And then, and then secondly, it filled my entire cab with smoke because it was sucking the, the vortex of the wind moving, was sucking the smoke up underneath the deck in front of me and then back in my face. So. <laughs> I'm completely in a cloud. I can't see anything at all. And my motor's dead. So on a jet drive, if you have no power, if you can't push water, you have no steering. So now I'm like, I have no steering. So, so finally I get that. I'm just coasting along, about to die in the water, get the boat started back again. Ooh, I floor it. I get going. But I can't see where I'm going at all. Like, I'm just 
I know this was the area I was last aimed at, so I'm heading in that direction. But I know how close we come to the corner of the pier, and I'm just thinking, oh, God, but I keep moving because the smoke is slowly starting to clear. And I really can't. I said, I think, I think I'm right. And as I smoke barely starts to clear, the pier is right there and literally I'm right next to it. I very slight adjustment to get around the corner of the pier. And then I could barely see the entrance of the boathouse, make the turn and get it in the boathouse. But it was like so crazy that on our big opening night, with that slight little change, you know, with the pyro, the position of pyro almost blew the whole, like, the whole bad guy entrance to the boathouse. You know, it was pretty wild. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty, it was pretty intense for about for what seemed like 10 minutes, but reality is probably about 15 seconds. Was <laughs> <duper intense. laughs> so, um, so how long did that show run for? That show ran for 10 years. Wow. Um, I, I did the show for four years. I did the show, got hired on in late 89. We trained up for it. Um, and then we, we did, I did the show until 94, mid, early to mid 94. Um, and then uh, I, I think the show ran until, uh, until 2000. Mm -hmm. It was an expensive show to do because of all the pyro and all the you know moving parts and stuff. So that's why they would literally do one show a day because it was like, it was a very expensive show to do and the maintenance of all the boats and all that stuff. So, um, but it was a, the great thing about the show is you could entertain, you know, it wasn't like another ride or another show that you had an arena or see, you had the entire, you could, you know, everybody would just gather around the lagoon and around different parts of the park, you could approach the lagoon. So you could entertain 25,000 people at one time. Everyone would just gather, everyone would just gather up at the lagoon on all the piers and all the buildings and the restaurants, a lot of the restaurants were right on the lagoon, you know, especially the ones in San Francisco and and uh, people would just gather up and watch the boat show. So, I love it. I, see, I love it. I, it was cool. And see, that's where, and that's where uh, after that show was over, they started working construction for uh, Universal Cinematic that would, would glow, would brown the globe in. So they started doing that construction, and during that construction, you can see the little center, center blocks where the boathouse was, and then... Oh, cool. I'll be honest, since I left the show, I've not been back in the park since. Oh I've my gosh. I've never seen a cinematic show, I've never seen any of that. I've not, I haven't, and I, not for any reason, I just haven't, you know, I moved to LA, then we moved, we've moved around a lot, and, yep. stuff, and I just haven't really had the time to. Uh, you wouldn't recognize it. There's oh, only no. one original ride. E.T. is the only thing that's still there since the park opened. Yep. Every other ride has been renovated at least once. Wow. Yeah. That's it's, it's, dude, everything out, everything out in that park changes so much. I, I mean... Remember when, we, when, when I first auditioned for that park, I was living in Orlando, sleeping in Remy's bedroom. Yep. So, <laughs> so I, was with, I was staying with his parents, Chuck and Sandy, and Remy was an infant in a crib, and I was sleeping in a bed in his room, and uh, and 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 I would go to work, and I was working at a restaurant there. Um, I was doing some acting stuff and trying to get a, you know acting career going because they were making TV and films in in town. But I always knew I wanted to be a stuntman, and uh, and so I was working that angle and staying with Chuck and Sandy, and then. Uh, I can remember driving by, driving down I-4, and the only thing you could see from Universal Studios was the Psycho House, which sit up there on that hill. It's not there anymore. But nope. the Psycho House 
Pacific by itself. There were no hotels, none of that stuff was there. At where those hotels are now was just literally this big, huge dirt mound, this dirt hill, and the psycho house was sitting up on the top of it. And that was it. And uh, and I remember there was an ad in the paper for boat drivers to audition for this boat show. And I went and auditioned with me and you know hundreds of other people. And uh, it got down to like, I think they hired uh, 16 of us or 18 of us or something like that. So got down to an interview process and then we, then from the interview process, I went to an actual practical boat driving where a bunch of us went out to a lake with a boat with a stunt coordinator that was, you know, approving it and, and did all the, you know, boat driving auditions and pulling up to pilotings and docking the boat and showing that we knew how to handle a boat. And, uh, and then from there we went to training. We started training for the show. Wow. So, gosh, I just, I, it blows my mind when I think about, like, you were there when Universal was, I still have all the, I, I used to collect hats. I still have a great hat collection, but I have all these old 1989, 1990 truck stop hats that say, like, Confrontation, yeah. Jaws. I bought yeah. one at every ride. They were six bucks a piece back then. That's how old I was. Good yeah. God. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. That is so cool. Hey, guys. It was cool, though. Open the park and to be part of that was a really great experience. Uh, hey, hey guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Uh, you have been listening to the Goof Duck Podcast right here on Spotify. Uh, we'll be right back right after this with our special guest, Mr. Steve Ritzy. This podcast has been brought to you by the Crooked Can Brewing Company in Winter Garden, Florida. Their hours of operations is from Sunday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. and Friday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. Their number is 407-395-9520. If you would like to go to the Crooked Can Brewing Company their address is 426 West Plant Street, Winter Garden, Florida. For more information head over to www.crookedcan.com for more information on the brewery and on their craft beer selections. Thanks for listening to the Goof Duck Podcast right here on Spotify. Welcome back, guys, to the Goof Duck Podcast right here on Spotify. Uh, this one is for Wednesday, April 15th in the year 2020. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this has been such an awesome podcast. Joey, man, look, I, I sent you his INDB, and you're like, holy crap, I did not know who's in yeah. all of these movies. Well, you didn't tell me that you knew him. Like, you were like, oh, yeah, I got this actor. Um, he's coming on, and uh, check out his IMDb. And I read it, and at first I was like, all right, so I'm going to be real with you, Ren. Um, I go to the Sunburst uh, convention of celebrity lookalikes. I'm like, so maybe this guy's fleecing you. This guy might not be who you think he is. And then you're like, oh, by the way, this dude who's famous as hell is my GD uncle. And I'm like, whoa, dude, you could have led with that. You could have led with that. It might have been a little bit easier to stomach and understand if you had just been like, oh, my uncle's extremely famous, you know, so is my yeah. dad, so is everybody else I know. There's, there was one, there was, this, there, there was this one thrill movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but uh, I kind of enjoyed it. It's called uh, Cry Wolf. Did you ever see that movie in theaters, Joey? 
Uh, it man, it was a really cool. It was like a dark thriller movie. It wasn't really dark. It was more like a humor thriller movie where this yeah. kid teen is trying to kill these other teenagers, and I'm like, How much campus? Yeah, that's that's cool. yeah. That's what's yeah. Uh, but guys, welcome, that, welcome back that to director, welcome. that director named Jeff Wadlow is a friend of mine now. That was his first movie he ever directed, and I and I went and did it, and we kind of met kind of online, and and we and I went up. He was shooting. I think we were shooting in Virginia, um, where he went to college, and I went up and met him, and we just kind of hit it off and became friends. So I stunt coordinated the movie for him, and played a bunch of different parts. Like I played the masked killer in that movie. What? I that was the, that was I not you. The movie, I, this is my claim to fame, okay? <laughs> the, that movie poster for that movie, which is the guy in the orange ski mask with the knife, that's me. What? Like, I, I, actually got on a, I actually got on a movie poster. <laughs> Are you awesome? So that was, uh, but I was, the, I was the, until they revealed, like, you know, at some point they revealed who it is and they pulled the mask off. But all the other times running around, killing and slashing and dragging, you know, people around and stuff, that's... That's all me doing the killing. And then I also play a cop in the movie, I think. Uh, but that director, I've done a few things with that director. We did a we did a really fun movie with Kevin James for Netflix called True Memoirs of an International that, Assassin. That was a good movie. That was a very that good movie. It's a really fun movie. And I directed all the action. We did a, all that helicopter stuff that's in that movie is real. Like we did some of the craziest helicopter shots Except for obviously, if you see Kevin James's face, that's on a green screen. Him uh, on, a, on a helicopter, but everything yeah. else, like, is is all real. Like we, I had guys strapped to the outside of the helicopter because we were doing this fight on a helicopter, flying over downtown San Domingo as this helicopter looks like it's flying out of control because the pilot's been shot. So, I mean, we did some really wild stuff that looked amazing, but everybody's like, the problem is it looks so good that no one's gonna think it's real. Everyone's gonna think it's on green screen, you know? So, hey guys, guys, the voice you are hearing is none other than the only Mr. Steve Ritzy. He is my uncle, and he has some really cool stories, you know, he can tell us and share with us. But man, I, I did not know that was you in Cry Wolf. I was like, hold on, uh, okay. Man, that, that just blew my mind. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun little movie. Uh, I want to. I want to double back to where we were talking about the theme parks. Um, have you ever done anything with Universal? Has a lot of Mardi Gras and things like that. Halloween Horror Nights is something that we never miss. Uh, have you ever worked with Halloween Horror Nights? Yeah. So we we used to do when we were there. We used to do a Halloween Horror Nights. We used to have this really cool show we put together called. Uh, the Robosaurus um, stunt show, or uh, I can't remember exactly what they called it, but there was this robotic dinosaur. It was a T-Rex that was entirely robotic, and it was probably, you know, I'm not going to have the exact dimensions right, but it was probably 35 feet tall, um, and uh, it would and it and it would breathe fire out of its mouth. Two guys would drive it from the head like a fighter pilot. They would sit one in front of the other and drive it like and drive it like fighter pilots it was so strong it was all hydraulic and this huge metal robotic dinosaur that would walk into this area and terrorize things and blow flames like it would pick up a car with its front claws pick up a car 
breathe fire on it, light it on fire, and then put it in its mouth and bite it in half. Literally, bite it in half, a car, a full-size car. So it was this huge thing. We did this whole show around it. It was coming and terrorizing Universal Studios, and we played part of these uh, military guys that were fighting it. And we would do this huge... So we had cop cars sliding up and stuff, but we would do this huge slide, uh, this uh, slide for life from one building to the other across Central Park area of, of uh, Universal Studios, that big park area. Everybody would gather there, and we would do a slide rappel. So we were all gacked out in military gear with guns and everything. And, uh, and we would slide across, and as we're sliding across this thing, we would also rappel down. So we're sliding across a line that was probably 80 feet in the air, and then we'd also slide down the line, uh, down a separate line that was attached to us, down to the ground, land and shoot, shoot at the robot, you know, shoot at the dinosaur and try to take it out. And it's terrorizing, it's lighting cars on fire, and guys are falling off buildings, and it was pretty cool. It was really uh, like a pretty big production. Why would they ever get rid of that? That's brilliant. I'm not sure why they stopped doing that. We did it for several years. Uh, and then after I left the park in 94, I'm not sure if they kept doing it. I think they did it for another couple of years after that, but I don't know if they retired the dinosaur or whatever, I'm not, or they just wanted to move on to something else, but they did it for several years and it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a big, it, you know, spectacle. Nice. I think I, know, I, I think I know where the dinosaur is till this day. I can tell you one thing. Man, that dinosaur, that dinosaur is on The Simpsons, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was gonna say if you go back and if you go through the Simpsons ride, you go through the queue, mm -hmm. and you watch the TV, they play all of the old clips where the Simpsons visited theme parks throughout the years. And I remember there being a giant robot eating a car, a giant dinosaur eating a car in one episode. That had to be it. Yeah. So yeah. wow. Robosaurus, yeah. Amazing! I'm gonna I'm gonna go on YouTube after when we're done. Yeah. I'm gonna see if I can find. I want to check it out too, man. I mean, that sounds like a an awesome. So, technically, would that I mean would that still count as Fright Night or the beginning of Halloween Horror Nights? I think that was Halloween Horror Nights. I'm pretty sure that was Halloween Horror Nights. Were Were you around? Was uh, Was the Bill and Ted show a thing yet, or did that come later? Yeah, Bill and Ted show was. Uh, they were doing that. Uh, <coughs> on the page where the Wild Wild West show was, which then eventually became the Fear Factor show, mm -hmm. I think, on the page. Um, but when I was there, it was the Wild Wild West show. Interesting. And they used to do, the Bill and Ted's show was on that stage. Okay. They would take over that, that venue. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, do you remember from back in your theme park days on a day off, what was your favorite attraction? Oh boy. Um, let me think about that. Um, I used to like the, it was kind of fun. I, I liked the old school um, King Kong ride. Confrontation. Oh, was, there, was, there was something very kind of old school about it that was kind of fun. It was the old. Uh, trolley that would take you over to, uh, you know, over to over to the Staten Island and everything. Or um, so that was kind of that was kind of a fun ride. Uh, when I was there, though, in the early days, that thing used to break down all the time. Like, yeah, we, we I, used, yep. you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, funny story. The reason they got rid of it is because it broke down so often. You're exactly right. 
Yeah, yeah. They, it used to. It was always on. Uh, huh? always be on the radio. Tongs down. Tongs down. Did it? Because that song. That's now the Mummy Ride. Oh right, that got switched over while I was there. I remember they had the grand opening, and, oh. and Brandon Fraser came out for the opening. Oh wait, maybe that was just after I left. But I remember seeing videos of people that a friend of mine was still working there were showing me videos of the of it becoming the Mummy Ride and being there for the premiere of it and all that. Nice. What do you got, Ren? I was actually I was actually there during the grand opening of the Mummy when the, when the ride uh, was opening up because I was working I was working at Jimmy Neutron during the time. And uh, my buddy was like, hey, do you want to take the day off and uh, come back to the park like at 5 o'clock in the morning? I'm like, well, okay, but I'm only getting two hours of sleep. He's like, all right, I don't care. So woke up, went to the park. I got there about 6 o'clock. We waited in the break room till about eh, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, got some breakfast. We went back out on main stage, and uh, we, were, we were the first ones in line for the mummy, for the, for the grand nice. opening. So it was it was got, pretty it was pretty uh, dope, but the the problem was we we can't we can't meet Brendan Fraser. Here's the cool here's the coolest part about that. Brendan Fraser actually sat behind us on our on our roller coaster. He was actually oh, on, he was on our ride. He was sitting right behind us. I'm like, it's Brendan Fraser. I can't say shit to him. So you know, but that's we got a, I got a cool one for um. I was at the uh, grand opening in Jimmy Fallon. I got to meet him and Carson Daly. But the big one for me, because I was so, I'm a huge fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. So I knew when I heard Vin Diesel was definitely going to be there, I was like, I'm showing up. So what I did is I wore the shirt, the, the cross chain. I shaved my head. I wore the jeans, the boots, the exact same thing he wears on the ride. And as a joke, I showed up wearing it, but I got there at 5 a.m. I was the very first person there. It was me, a friend of mine, and then six other random people showed up. And I got people kept coming over and taking their picture with me as a joke. And when we went over there, he's walking back to go to the ride. He sees me and stops. He reaches over and gives me a hug in Universal. They got a picture and they tagged it, hashtag Vin Diesel, hashtag Thin Diesel. <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was it was a good time, but there were it was Universal does it right. They're they grand openings for things. They always bring the people. They always bring they they do it huge. What it's a great thing. It was great when we used to do the boat show. That a lot of times they would have these huge after hours parties, events, special events that you know huge corporation. Because you know, especially the first couple of years, Universal was new. So whoever it was GE or who, some big corporation would come to Orlando for their convention and they would rent the park after hours to have a huge party and a lot of times they would do we would do the boat show for them like they would have that as the entertainment so we go out and do the boat show and so we're there after hours doing the boat show and then they would actually want us to go mingle with the people afterwards because they're like oh no you guys are you know Hollywood stuntmen so you need to go you know play the part so so we would do the fun boat show and then we'd park the boats after and come just hang out with the crowd and mingle with the crowd and talk to people and answer questions. It was a good time. It was fun. Awesome. How so cool. Huge parties and, you know, down in the New York, you know, park area or on the streets and they just have huge everything set up. They'd have bands and all kinds of stuff. It was cool. Nice. What do you got, Ryan? All right, so my dad has told me a story over and over and over how you were on Sinbad's Disney's The First Kid. Now, my dad told me that story, but I want to hear from you. I want to get the facts straight. So, 
So here's the thing about that. Uh, speaking of random happening, so I had actually driven from, I was working at the park at the time, and I said, I'm going to take a couple of days off and I'm going to drive up to Washington, D.C. because I heard they're doing a movie um, called, um, oh, it'll come to me while I'm talking. It was another movie uh, that was shooting up there. I didn't even know First Kid was there. Um, uh, it was a it was a Charlie Sheen action movie uh, where he's a secret serviceman. So and a, a huge stunt uh, coordinator, second unit director named Vic Armstrong, who's one of the biggest in the business ever, like huge second unit director, um, action director, was up there working. I said I want to go meet Vic Armstrong. So I take a few days off, and I'm sorry, I take a few days off. My dog is going to get in the office. Um, <laughs> I take, I take a few days off and uh, and I drive up there and I get on set and I meet him and a super nice guy and uh, so I booked that night I booked the hotel where I found out the production was staying at that particular hotel so I said I'm going to book a night at the hotel just to kind of be around I'm going to check in the hotel and there's another stunt coordinator that I'd worked with on a previous uh, movie with who's in the lobby and he goes Steve what are you doing here and I said I, I'm I came up to meet Vic Armstrong. What are you doing here? Are you working on his show? And he goes, No, no, I'm doing a, I'm doing a show called uh, First Kid. And he goes, uh, He goes, well, How long in town? I said, Literally, I'm driving back tomorrow. He goes, You want to work tomorrow? I was like, uh, Yeah. He goes, I, I want to. He goes, You know, I was a driver. You know, I was a, a good driver. He said, I'm going to have you drive in the car, double on a guy, slide up the camera with Sinbad in the car with you. I was like, Okay. So next day I show up, they get me all done up and. And, uh, and, and they, uh, so I get there and so Sinbad gets in the car with me and introduces himself and starts talking. So now I'm sliding up literally and they want me to slide this car. We do a little bit of a chase scene, but then the final shot is literally the camera in the road and I'm sliding up to the camera and stopping like they want the, the logo of the car literally. And they got cameras in the car as well, but they want the logo of the car, uh, you know, the front logo like six inches from the lens. So we're and, and the whole time Sinbad is just cracking jokes and trying to be like I'm like, dude, let me concentrate. And he and he would just uh, he goes, Okay, I'll, I'll be crying. <laughs> and then we start to we get start to get going and I'm just getting ready to do the start the slide and he would crack some sort of joke or make some comment. I'm like and and he just kept making me laugh. He made, kept kept making comments about comments. So he's like, man, don't screw this up, man. Don't screw this up, you know, and just busting my chops. I'm like, dude, you've got to let me concentrate. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. It was challenging to to have somebody in your ear like that, just just making you laugh, up, you know, crack up, and really make you have to super concentrate on what you're doing. But uh, it was fun being in the car with them. We did a bit of a car chase, and then we ended up doing slide up the camera, and, and did it. it was a lot of fun. But it was like, very random that that whole job even came about. Oh, nice. Man. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's, it's the things you hear like this that you can't, there's no application process to be someone like you. You have to just be good and be in the right place. That is amazing. Yeah, you got to go. It's, it's about getting yourself out there and trying. I mean, there's a thing that stunt people do called the hustle, and it's it's not as prominent anymore because of 9/11 and things, and it's harder to get on sets and on studios. But it used to be, you would walk around with your headshot and you'd go set to set or studio to studio, and you'd walk on and you'd wait, you'd walk on a film set, and you'd wait on the side until stunt coordinator was, you know, had a little break. And you'd walk up and introduce yourself and give him your headshot and he'd talk to you or she would talk to you about about you know what 
your experiences and what your forte is and you know what you're known for and if you have a reel you give me a reel and and uh, that's the way it really used to be done was doing the doing the hustle and uh, and not so much anymore it's much more virtual now but still they still drop by all the time I get I get a mail to me but I still get guys that drop by my production office and drop by the set if they can get on set and that was always the thing that you usually come you usually go in a group a couple you know you and a couple of friends would go hustle for the day you drive around from set to set in LA it was really prominent you drive set to set find out from the production what's where the sets were and you'd go and you'd hang out and you'd, sometimes you have to sneak by security and you'd find a way to get near a set and just hang out and, and until you got a chance to shake the stunt coordinator's hand I love it right so uh, most people most people on the show they they like talking about the theme parks but most people don't under they want to know what what does a stunt coordinator actually do? Like, what do you do? Like, once you once you arrive on set, what are, what are your next steps that you have to do to be a stunt coordinator? Well, you know, to become a stunt coordinator, there's kind of a natural progression in the industry, in the business that you you know you're a stunt performer first, and then you do, you work years and years and years as a stunt performer, learning your craft, learning. Uh, watching, paying attention. You, you know, I, I can't tell you literally the thousands of hours that I spent on sets that weren't even my sets. I would go hang out and watch and learn, just like and and they would, you know, you ask permission. Hey, man, do you mind if we mind if I hang out? It was easier back then than it is now. Things are much more, you know, tight. Security's tighter now and stuff. But back then, 80s, 90s, you would go to a set and stunt coordinator would let you hang out and watch what they were doing and even like hump pads around like if they're moving stunt pads around you get in there and help shuffle pads around like you know not getting paid not officially working for the day but you're just learning watching seeing how they set things up and then the sets that you are working on you're not just paying attention to the stunt that you're doing but obviously you need to perform your stunt well and do the things that you say you're able to do when you sell yourself to a stunt coordinator you need to be able to show up and perform proficiently what you say you can do you know and then also practicing your craft away from work getting better at different things you know, maybe you come in as a gymnast so you're really great at tumbling and those kind of things but also you know go take a driving course so you, you know, learn how to drive and do some you know driving stunts and try to be as well-rounded as possible workouts with other stunt people learning fight sequences and whatnot but once you are on for years as a stunt performer then a natural progression for some people if they are so inclined is to start stunt coordinating which means you're designing the action for the movies you are hiring the stunt people you are design you're working with the director with the script and designing the action that's written in the script or or redesigning action that works better for the story whatever that may be um and uh, you know, working out the fight sequences, working out the car chases, the whatever they are, high falls, fire burns, shootouts, all those kind of things. Um, and then, and then, it, and then it's about getting the right people in place. It's also about getting stunt doubles when you have your lead actors or any of your actors doing performing stunts. You need to get the best stunt doubles for them. Some people do their like to do their own stunts. Obviously, Tom Cruise does almost all of his own stunts. Right. Um, a lot of people do it, but there are other actors who have no interest in doing stunts. They're like, nope, let my guy do it, or let my girl do it. They're just, uh, 
they don't want to take the risk and, and great for us we, we love that so um, <laughs> yeah you know so I mean but there's been several times where I was brought on to double somebody and standing around and the guy ends up doing it himself you know something simple like a little fight or a little fall or something but they have to have somebody there in case you know he doesn't want to do it or it's not looking quite the way the director wants it to look so uh then once, like I said, once you are doing the stunts, then you're moving the coordinating and you're hiring all the people of the department, but then you're also working with all the different departments. You're working with hair and makeup, you're working with wardrobe, you're working with all these department heads to make sure you're getting the right people, you're getting the right stunt doubles that fit the wardrobe and fit you know, the sizes of the actors and hair and makeup. There's lots of considerations outside of just designing the stunts. But then, obviously, designing the stunts is the big thing and performing the stunts. And then, and then, if you're so inclined, the next progression after that is to moving into what's called second unit directing, which is, which is directing action units. So many film productions, you know, they have a unit that's shooting, the main unit is shooting, especially on big action movies, they're shooting the actors doing you know, acting and doing their bits and doing it, whatever the action bits they're doing. But then you might have a whole another unit out shooting a car chase with all stunt doubles or shooting a fight scene with all stunt doubles, which is, you know, usually a stunt coordinator turned director that knows how to shoot action. That's that is, that is one of my absolute favorite things to do is it, when you meet a few people in the industry, you get kind of excited, as Remy said earlier, you get to see their name appear at the end of the credits. Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple of friends in a couple of uh, these Marvel movies, and I stay to see their names at the end, or I stay to see them in the credits. And the thing I absolutely love is when you actually read the credits to appreciate them, there comes that part, like in like Avengers, where it'll say, it'll have the credits for just the American prop houses and then just the British prop houses and just the Brazilian prop houses. It's, it's almost like you're watching the credits four, five, six times yeah. because yeah. they have scooped up through all these countries. It's amazing. Yeah, they, they'll, fast, the fast movies will have, they, they'll have three, four, five units going on at the same time at different parts of the world. Holy crap. And, yeah, yeah, that huge, you know, because their sequences are so big and over the top that if, if, if one director tried to shoot it all, it'd take you, you know, three years to do one movie, you know? So, so they find out these very experienced second-hand directors. Go ahead, Ronnie. So I got, so I'm gonna bring up, I'm gonna bring up some actors' names, and I'm gonna tell Joey this. Joey, if I said, if I said the name Woody Harrelson, uh, oh crap, I'm trying to think of the, okay, Woody Harrelson, Bill Murray, and, yeah. uh, Crap, I think I can't think of this kid. Are you talking about Zombieland? Zombieland. Ah. There we go. So Zombieland. You were on you were on the first Zombieland, but you were on you were not on the second Zombieland. Okay, so tell us how tell us how you ended up doing work work for uh, work on uh, Zombieland. So I uh, the stunt coordinator is the band of my name, George Lar. He, they were shooting the whole theme park scene of the first Zombieland. He's New York-based stunt coordinator. I've worked with him over the years, just back and forth to New York, and really great guy. So they were coming down to Georgia. They were coming down south to work at uh, a theme park in Valdosta for all of that, um, all of that theme park stuff in the first Zombieland. 
Um, so he called me and said, "Hey man, you want to come? You want to come work on Zombieland with us? And it's going to be a really fun script." And he told me all about it, and and then I, I helped him get a few uh, people. You know, he was asking me references on some stunt people and whatnot, some performers in the south. So I helped him along, uh, you know, finding a few people. But uh, just basically met, uh, you know, and a lot of the guys that I was working with, I knew just with through working with him before or through working throughout the south. It was a lot of there were, it was a kind of a mix of New York stunt guys as well as like regional stunt people, uh, men and women that were around the southeast. And uh, so it was, a, it was a fun project. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so. Oh. Uh, Rem, so just a heads up, we are up against the clock. We've got about four, All right, cool. four and a half minutes left. Do you want to do, what, what do you got planned for this? My gosh, can we please have you come back and do this again? Sure, absolutely. I still, I have, I have so many stories, but we, if, if our podcast runs uh, three hours long, we're, <laughs> it'll end up being like, it'll, 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 it'll hit us, it'll hit us. They don't need none. No, but uh, I was going to say, uh, during, during that, I saw this one scene that I was like, Okay, that has Red Sea all over it. It was the last scene. It was the last scene on that uh, that free fall that free fall ride, where all the zombies were climbing up that tower, and the guy got shot right in the head. Did you come up with that with that stunt where the zombie goes? No, no, I didn't come up with it. But I, I helped. I helped rig it. <sighs> that we, we helped rig it. That had some rigging involved, and so I was helping with some of the rigging and. And some of the testing of some of the rigs, uh, but I uh, know those were the, the stunt coordinator and, and his other and another stunt coordinator from Divine who was also working on it, named Steve Pope. They they came up with all that stuff. Holy That's crap, man! Yeah. yeah. So, uh, guys, this has been one. I'm just gonna say it, this has been one hell of a podcast today. Uh, but it was a, it was a great it was a great show. Uh, Steve, I, thank you so much for joining us today, man. We hope to have you hope. To have you back soon. Uh, if you're if you're in town, give us give us a ring and we'll treat we'll treat you to a beer, man. I was just about to say um, before we do leave because we have to say thank you to the Crooked Cannon Brewery in uh, yes. Winter Garden, Florida, for always taking care of us. Remember, if you swing by, you ask for Carl. He runs that place, and just give him a big old thank you for us from Goof Duck. And uh, my gosh, when you're in town, you gotta come have a beer with us. Yeah, for sure. Sounds great. All right, guys. Well, well, guys, thank you so much for thank you so much for listening to the Goof Duck podcast. On behalf of myself, my name is Remy, and always with me is the Joy Mazant. It's been lit, fam. Guys, and we want to thank you. We want to thank once again to our guest Steve Ritzy. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That was really great. A lot of fun. <laughs> all right, guys. You thank you. All right, guys. You have been listening to the Goof Duck podcast right here on Spotify. You guys take care. <laughs>